Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flemmer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which we sneak off to our cramped workshop to surreptitiously discuss the film Being John Malkovich one minute at a time. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and joining me for one last outing this week from Time Warp Radio and Shock Treat Minute, Haley Mervini and Katie Tominey. You're back. We're back. <laughs> Everyone's here. <laughs> we're we're Malkovich. We're Malk. Yeah. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. Malkovich! <laughs> it's the only way to break that one. So today we're on minute 25 of being John Malkovich. Minute 25 starts with Lottie informing Craig that Elijah is going to sleep with them tonight and ends one minute later with the Maxine puppet saying, tell me, Craig, why do you love puppeteering? Okay, so this is our last... Ooh, what a break off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, you get a tantalizing glimpse at uh, what will be next week. I'm glad it's only a glimpse. I'm creeped out enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, that that whole scene is, that, you know, that we're going to be discussing next week. It, it is creepy. In, in, yeah. in But the puppetry is so beautiful that it's just yes. so yes, gorgeous yes, to yes, watch. Yes. Yeah, so listeners, stick around after today's episode because there will be an interview excerpt with Philip Huber. This week, he'll be talking about the process of making a puppet because we see Craig basically making the puppet in an evening. And um, mm-hmm. and it ain't like that in real life. But uh, yeah. Shocker. Yeah, yeah, amazingly. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if either of you noticed that the Maxine puppet is in the movie before this. Did you did you notice that? No. Okay, so neither did I, but it's in plain sight. The Maxine puppet is in the street puppetry scene. She is the Eloise the character. Nun. Yeah, the nun who okay. is being oh. who's being voiced by Lottie, being voiced by Cameron Diaz, and because I guess of the way she's dressed, you don't really notice and because you haven't gotten to Catherine Keener's scenes yet. You don't mm-hmm. notice that she doesn't look like Lottie. She looks like Maxine. And uh, mm-hmm. I did not notice that for years. Yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> but I love that crazy. on a meta level. Yes. Of like, this is the dream puppet. Yes. He's designed yeah. in his sexual fantasies. Come to life. He sees her. And that's why he pursues her so yes. hard. Yeah. It's like, she. Oh, my gosh. I. And then it's not even like he's building a new puppet. He's just converting the yeah, one that he's, he's no longer using. He doesn't want to do that show anymore Yeah, because now he's obsessed with Maxine. He's just painting her toes and staring at her puppet vagina. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a very provocative position that he's painting her puppet toenails in. I don't I don't think I ever thought about that, but yeah, it's it's yeah. it's there. She could be sitting in a chair. I'm sure he has doll chairs that he could have propped her in. No. <laughs> he wanted her on her on her back. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm not gonna argue. I'm not gonna argue. Um so what we get here as well is what I I mistakenly thought was maybe the first statement of the main theme, and I look back through the minutes and 
um, in minute seven into minute eight, which is when Craig is looking through the newspaper, finds the ad, and when he first approaches the lobby of the Merton Flemmer building, um, there, there's a musical cue, and it's similar to this. It's the same kind of... Dum, 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 dum. So the score is by Carter Burwell, who did all of the music for most of the um, Coen Brothers movies, and that's what he's famous for. Oh! And that's how he started. He was um, he was playing in bands and uh, around New York, and uh, the sound editor on Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers' first feature, knew Carter Burwell and suggested him. That started his his music scoring career and he's like now obviously known as a composer more than anything else. So I kind of really only knew that he did Coen Brothers stuff. And um, if you look into his filmography, he's done lots of stuff in between Coen projects. And then he did this and the paired piece with this which is adaptation and his soundtrack and adaptation i think is even better than this it's one of my favorite soundtracks uh, it's it's fantastic i just yeah i love the the music in this i love how he can use the piano he can put so much sweetness in it without um without it being saccharine without it being sickly yeah. sweet and it's just perfectly used here and this is only the second bit of Carter Burwell music in the film because all the rest of the music so far has been diegetic which I, I really didn't know I think I think as the movie goes on there's much more score from here on out but uh, it's kind of amazing how little uh, music there is up until now <laughs> interesting that it's such a sweet melody too for such a creepy activity yeah i think we're playing on we're 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 doing the music from the pov of craig to him this is a romantic (laughs) overture this is like this is a beautiful romantic thing he's doing nothing creepy at all he's in his fantasy world this is a gesture for max exactly (laughs) yeah yeah some people huh Yeah, so what do we think of Craig's workshop? It reminds me of um, the mom's workshop in Hereditary. Yes. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. That's a really good comparison. As soon as well, you especially said it. with the miniatures. Yeah. Like, she makes yeah. miniatures and he makes puppets. So it would just kind of, like, tie that connection in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely the same kind of dark, dingy, overcrowded. They're, like, <laughs> so out of their own worlds and too into these worlds that they're controlling yes yeah entirely i mean she literally makes a miniature of her daughter's <gasps> head yeah, yeah. The, the car scene <laughs> yeah. yeah all of it all of the scenes that she chooses to do where this isn't a hereditary podcast but it's <laughs> definitely yeah he's taking advantage of this of the moments of his life where he wants to be puppeteering yeah. And that's where he's 
it, that studio space, man. It kind of relates to um, something. It, it relates to this uh, theme of like um, mastery and control, and it's a theme that's more explicit in in adaptation. Um, where he talks about where Susan Orlean has this lovely tract in in The Orchid Thief about whittling the world down to a manageable size and the way our like hobbies or passions or whatever they are, because we focus in on them, they shrink the world down mm. to a manageable size and they create this kind of arena of mastery. And this is what Craig is retreating mm. into here. And, and I think we all do it in maybe slightly more healthy ways um, and maybe slightly less healthy. Who knows? Um, I mean, it takes how long to edit an episode of a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Is that healthy yeah. or unhealthy? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm finding out just how unhealthy it is. <laughs> the recording is so much fun and the editing is so awful. It's just a whole other skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've got in this minute for the script is um, actually we have to go back to uh, several pages earlier. If you can cast your mind back in the movie to the scene when Maxine says to Craig, the thing of it is you wouldn't know what to do with me if you got me. After that, we cut to this scene of Craig creating the puppet at that point. And then at that point, he performs... Uh, a st- uh, 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 <laughs> just for the listeners i need to describe kate's face right now katie <laughs> katie is is wearing an expression of abject disgust <laughs> on her face i feel like that makes she's it anticipating, so much worse yeah she's anticipating what this scene is going to be well, um, just like that scene cut coming right after that line makes yes. it infinitely worse. Yeah, you are not wrong. And, and we're going to pay that off right now. Ugh. So in this version, Lottie walks in and uh, sees Craig creating this new puppet. So Lottie says, new puppet. Craig is surprised. Caught. Craig says, yeah, just an idea I had. Oh, she's very beautiful. Uh, and he shrugs and says, just an idea I had. Craig hangs the puppet, stands and switches off the lights. And Craig says, come on, let's go to bed. Then we, they're in the bedroom and they're both asleep, supposedly. And then quietly he gets up to leave and Lottie watches him go. Okay, so we know that Lottie actually sees him sneaking off in the middle of the night to, to go and play with this new uh, puppet so then we have the scene which isn't in the movie where craig stands above the puppet stage he is working both the craig puppet and the maxine puppet at the same time the two perform a beautiful and graceful pas de dieu i had to look that up it's a ballet duet yeah. basically yeah <laughs> um they, they finish in a passionate embrace and then craig yeah. quietly i would too know what to do with you Oh God, yeah. no! Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. So nope, nope. So you're fine that they cut that bit out, and nope, it was that's totally and it was earlier it. in the film as well. Ugh, it's creepy enough. I think it's creepy enough yeah. the way it is. Yeah. We don't yeah. need to hear all of Craig's thoughts. We can kind of guess his thoughts. Mm-hmm. 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 So I know we've touched on it a bit so far, but I I wanted to talk to each of you in turn 
about your impressions because you both saw the movie for the first time quite recently. Mm -hmm. So just if you can cast your mind back to what you expected about this movie versus the reality of it, what did you take from it? What things do you want to study when you next watch it? Um, just, Just general thoughts. So I had genuinely no expectations. I was like, it's a movie. I know that they go into John Malkovich's mind. And that was literally all I knew about the film. Wow. I didn't even know who was in it. No, I had no idea. I literally thought it was about John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Um, Which it technically is. I mean, we're we're at minute 25 and we haven't just, we haven't, nobody's no mentioned mention. or no. heard of, yeah, yeah, being John Malkovich. No. Yeah, so I got about this far in the movie, maybe a little bit farther, and I was just like, I have no idea what this <laughs> film is about. Mm-hmm. There's so much good setup. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah. Because I have only ever seen like the poster with yes, the Mal- all the Malkoviches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's all I know about the film. So we get, you know, 45 minutes almost into the film and there's still no Malkovich. And I'm like, what <laughs> in the world am I watching? And where is the Malkovich? Yeah, could you imagine buying a ticket to this in 99 and being like, I thought... This what does being John Malkovich mean? <laughs> I don't know what were when is he gonna show up? Isn't he in the movie? Like how are they using Yeah and then when it goes there okay, so I had no expectations either, other than uh-huh. that I knew it dealt with the metaphysics, which is a favorite topic of mine. <laughs> Love going into just like what could what ifs. She's a tinfoil lady. Yes. Great. I have some just within reach right now. And (laughs) I loved that I kept getting surprised. Like, the lines were so witty, but I didn't feel like I was watching a Whedon wit fest. That's like, (laughs) I'm I'm so much more clever than you are. (laughs) Like, the writing was just good. It was just so solid. I believed the characters. I believed their motivations and I just was so like kept getting impressed by how it kept exceeding where I thought it was going to go. It was like, and then when we finally get to the portal, I'm like, I can't believe this is the actual plot of the movie. Like now (laughs) we are at what I think is his ear entrance. What? Like, I think the portal is his ear. I think it's John Malkovich's <laughs> ear. That's amazing. I have you know, never thought of that. Ooh, maybe it could be nostril. Because he, like, falls into it. So are we, like, falling into the brain? Like, is his head upside down? Because I'm thinking it's, like, they they have literally a door into the side of his head. And then the other side of his head is uh, the New Jersey Turnpike. Yes. <laughs> maybe that's how long it is. Maybe they're... Okay, here's what I'm thinking. Him walking through the tunnel... This is what I deal with this every is, day. I love this so yeah. much. He's walking through the tunnel, and then him falling, like the whoosh, yeah. is him actually falling out of the sky onto the turnpike road. Yeah. But his experience on a metaphysical level, he thinks that he's experienced a whole... Like, you... Oh, metaphysics. So he <laughs> is experiencing John Malkovich's 
uh, time. Yeah. But it, that's actually how long it takes to travel from one side of his head to the other. <laughs> so, um... I may have put the tinfoil on. Sorry without oh, giving you a man, warning. Oh, <laughs> man, that is so good. So, like, you're... So... Mm, oh. <laughs> I'm... I'm using the word so as if something else is going to come out of my head after that. Like, it's just, like, so, so, um, so Haley, like I. It just keeps going crazier places. Then it's like what I, when they went into his head and he ex- experiences John Malkovich for the first time, the first thing I thought of was then what is happening to John Malkovich? Like, what is his experience like? Yeah. And also, what if he went in his own portal? That's like the first thing my mind went to. So then when they actually did it, I yeah. was like, oh, this is so satisfying. I love that we are getting like that he sees his own portal and he's like, I don't I crawl through this. This is what you people have been doing. to yeah. Control me. Yeah. And but yeah. And I love that then he sees duplicates of himself yeah because that is what your own meta universe is is you're just imagining yourself in other people's experiences yeah and every everybody that we have in our head every mental model that we have of other people Uh isn't Uh isn't really them it's us it's just Uh a different facet of us because we can't fully model somebody else's mind Exactly. Um, it's a reflection of what we see, what we think. And then the ending blew my mind. I was like, I cannot believe what this, what? And then there's another port. Oh, man. So I do want to watch it again. Like, I'm already ready to sit experience John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, and Katie, what do you think you'll look for next time? I like to watch the people in the background. Oh, yeah. Um, That's, like, always one of my favorite things to do in movies. Because, like, in John Waters' films, he uh, would, in his earlier films, he would rogue film. Yeah. So, like, the people in the background, like, they have no idea what's going on. So, I always love to watch the stuff that's happening in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of directors put stuff in the background on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like to watch the extras who have decided that they're part of the film. Mm -hmm. Like. Not just in the background, but like they have a full story and yeah. they're acting out a scene. They are not for a small themselves. actor. No, that is not a small part. <laughs> no. There are no small parts. So, um, yeah. So, where can people find you? They'll use their podcatcher to find Time Warp Time Time Radio. Radio. And mm-hmm. uh, what about you guys uh, on Twitter or any other social media? Our most active social media is our Instagram at Time Warp Radio and at Shock Treat Minute. Great. And we have all of our links on there too. So if you wanted to go there first, you can kind of jump from there. But we're also on Facebook at Time Warp Radio and Twitter at Time Warp Rad Pod. The Twitter, <laughs> the Twitter the, ones are I, always weird. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The maximum character, it screwed with me this time, but I. I'm so excited to keep talking about shock treatment because it's so bizarro. Like we went into some weird places with Rocky Horror, if you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> From all of the weird places yeah. we went in this week. <laughs> and, 
but we, like, shock treatment was so... I think all of the creators wanted it to be the ultimate love letter to a Rocky Horror fan. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. For us to pick apart to death. Yeah. Because mm. they knew we did it with Rocky Horror. Interesting. So and uh, It's but so much fun to go into. Rocky Horror is 75, and this is what mm-hmm. year? 81. 81. By that stage, had Rocky Horror been picked apart that much? You know yes. what I mean? It, had, it really... Mm-hmm. It, so the, it had picked up the cult following that early. I kind of thought it was later. Yeah, then. about six months later. Oh, really? It had already started. Spontaneously, okay. people started coming in costumes. Yeah. And then by the time Shock Treatment was released, it was playing weekly, sometimes on both Fridays and Saturdays in some places. Okay. Around the world. Amazing. For at that point, six years. Yeah. That's a long yeah. time for people to be obsessed with a new movie mm-hmm. and i'm obsessed with shock treatment now and here excellent we are, excellent okay a thousand years later <laughs> still well, watching it despite the mastery that i have developed over this particular vessel that we find ourselves in i, I feel i'm not able to hold you in here any longer so i'm gonna okay. have to for the final time say goodbye i don't know who we're gonna be seeing next week and um, maybe I'll have you two back on later in the season. We don't know. We would so, love that. This is the best week ever, and we love talking with you. This is so much fun. Excellent, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having us on. Thank you so much for being on. And now I'm losing you. Well, what a fun week of episodes that was. And thanks once again to Haley and Katie from Time Warp Radio. There's more Philip Huber coming up in a moment, but first, a quick announcement. Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute is going away for a little while. Uh, don't worry, only a little while. I've been working on this project for a couple of months now, and it's been it's it's been fantastic. I've, I've found the whole thing just really enjoyable and challenging in all of the right ways, and I've learned so much. But the workload has been kind of crazy. Uh, and also things are opening back up here in Ireland so I, I want to see friends and family more so rather than running out of road and suddenly one day there's no episode I thought I'd you know do an orderly hiatus just three weeks during which I'll work on the podcast at a more manageable pace uh, as part of a balanced lifestyle and after that who knows I'm, I might even take another break after another 25 episodes But thanks so much for listening for the last five weeks. And I'll be here again in three. And now it's time for another excerpt from my interview with puppeteer Philip Huber. This time we discuss Minute 25 of Being John Malkovich. In the film, Craig appears to make the Maxine marionette in one evening. Yes. What is the process like in real life? Oh, well, for me, it takes between 300 and 400 hours to build one marionette. Wow. And so you're talking about a long, careful process. And yeah. the idea is, of course, that the puppets were probably made out of wood. So you're talking about hand carving each little part of them, making sure the joint's working properly and stuff like that. It's a very involved process. And so to me, they seem as two very different disciplines where you have to become a wood carver to a very high level. To be a puppeteer. And until I saw this movie, I never imagined that puppets were made by the puppeteer. Um, And I know that's how you work. 
is that kind of universal? Is that seen as part of the trade? It is for the most part. Uh, there are producers who do nothing, but they have other people build the puppets and then other people even work the puppets. Um, but for a, a lot of puppeteers are solo artists and that's economic reasons. It, a lot of people just can't afford to hire other puppeteers to come in and work yes. a lot of different puppets. I mean, companies used to be, you know, four and five people strong working a whole marionettes in an elaborate show and then it had to be pared down and then it became frequently a husband and wife team that would be traveling yes. and, and working it but they would still build their own puppets it it just became an economic necessity that a puppeteer develops all of the things that he possibly can to become a puppeteer he, he develops his ability to design and to sculpt and to wood carve and to even write the scripts sometimes to figure out the lighting for the stage to be a, a carpenter to build his own stage all of those things and i have done all of those things i make wow. the curtains for my stage i built the stage i designed the costumes i sewed the costumes i designed and built the puppets Wow. So there's a there's a real level of and I don't mean this in any way in a disparaging way because I'm an obsessive person myself, but that is an obsessive level of <laughs> involvement in a, a pursuit. Yes, it is. And it's the reason that not all puppeteers can make it, because it, it's it, you, it's really difficult to be strong in all of those areas. And I, I will be the first to admit, I think I'm the weakest in the costume construction. I really do some design yeah. work, okay, but but to actually sew, I mean, I was taught how to sew when I was young by my mother for this reason because I wanted to be able to make my own costumes. So, and I do that, but uh, I always tell people they shouldn't look at my costumes up too close, or they'll see all the flaws in them and things. Right, right. But uh, it, it's hard for that. Not everybody is a good designer, and not every puppeteer can really make their own puppets. There are some puppeteers that just hire, they find a puppeteer that they like, who who mm. is a good construction person, and they'll hire them to to build all of their work. And then they, they just go off and perform it. The downside to that is, of course, as an artist, if you have a concept for an act, and you decide that you're going to have a puppet built for it, the puppet may not come out to fit your concept. It may not come out. Yes. It may look like the concept you have, but it may not operate the way you want mm. to. And if you are building it yourself, you make sure that every part of it comes up to your standard. So when I build a marionette, I frequently have to go back and redo things to make sure that everything works exactly the way I want it. And if somebody else was building it for me, that it probably wouldn't be practical to try and do that. 